Welcome to Counter Stories, a program by people of color, for people of color, and everybody else. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the state of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions I share are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm Don Eubanks, associate at Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. And I'm Holly Lee, owner of the Other Media Group, vice president of programming for Ampers and Counter Stories producer. We are excited to have a guest today that is surely going to just engage us in all kinds of interesting efforts uh, and strategies that are being uh, employed with the goal of getting out the vote. Because we know election day is right around the corner and we wanna make sure that we are all informed and positioned to exercise our democratic franchise slash duty. So with that, I'm going to invite our guest to introduce himself. Hi, folks. My name is uh, Bengsu Victor Yang. I'm the Community Engagement Assistant Manager over at CAPI USA. So let's unpack first the organization you work for, CAPI USA, uh, in the event that some of our listeners may be unfamiliar with it. So help us understand uh, what CAPI USA does and its mission and the work that you engage in, and maybe, you know, sneak in a little bit of the historical background of the organization so folks really have an understanding of uh, the evolution of the services that are offered by CAPI USA. Yeah, so CAPI USA is a nonprofit with two locations, uh, one in South Minneapolis off of Lake Street, and our main uh, office is located in Brooklyn Center in Minnesota as well. Uh, what we do at CAPI is that we uh, we strive to serve communities and uplift our communities to um, better themselves to more sustainable living. So in order by doing so, we offer a food shelf for uh, folks to come in at any time to make sure like, you know, if they need uh, certain foods or they need to help with uh, food assistance, they can come to our food shelf. Uh, we also have uh, job placement and job navigation services through our Career Pathways program. Um, as well as our MFIT program with KSAID to help with like county folks in Hennepin County uh, to make sure like they're getting their um, kind of like what I'm going to say is like they're getting their stuff together, like making sure that they have their resumes, their uh, their due dates stuff on time. And then we also have our basic needs department, which helps out with tons of things like with benefits enrollment, uh, senior caregivers, uh, our senior group as well mentor so many other things and most recently um we've been we've had a um uprising with ukrainian and afghani refugees so right now we have a team department dedicated uh, to focus more on the refugees that are currently coming with the ukrainian crisis and the afghan refugee crisis That's and awesome. yeah and for my role i guess so with and I'll say the best for last, but everyone at work is going to tell me it's not like their department's better than mine. But my 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 department is civic engagement. So like we deal with a lot of public policy stuff with what it comes to, comes with, like public housing, rental assistance, um, transportation, you know, and getting folks out there educated about uh, issues in the community by registering to vote and organizing to, you know, make a difference in their community. And Cappy has been here for 40 years, I think 
20 oh no uh let's see two weeks ago it's our 40 year anniversary um we actually started as a food shelf and started growing as um as a as a organization and now to this day we're so much bigger and larger than we used to be i was first introduced to Cappy. i was just uh facebook just alerted me 10 years ago uh when i was doing some get out the vote work um for an asian american coalition and Cappy was like the only place that was like set up for us to be able to go in and do phone banking um and so i really got introduced to a lot of this the civic engagement work that was being done there um back when i I was right out of college so does this organization serve a particular population um so originally when cappy first started uh we focusing primarily on the Southeast Asian community. So CAPI used to stand for Center for Asian Pacific Islanders. So we used to serve uh, for the primary focus with the AAPI community. But ever since we've grown and we've seen that, you know, there are other folks that, you know, have seen the same, have been in the same shoes as, you know, um, my parents and other folks. Uh, we decided to rename ourselves and rebranded ourselves, call ourselves CAPI USA to notify like you know we're not just here to serve the api community we're here to serve every community as well and as a nonprofit, victor presumably your outreach efforts in, ter in terms of increasing voter turnout is nonpartisan, correct correct so currently with currently so cappy is a 501c3 so yeah everything's all nonpartisan. our role our role is to make sure that you know the vote counts every Every member in our community, regardless of what political affiliation they are, um, goes out there to vote because it's important that people uh, use their voice and make sure their voices are heard during every election so that it, that we choose the best people that represents our community. Absolutely. And historically, let's just set the, the ground here for our discussion. Historically, Minnesota has had the highest voter turnout rate and, in fact, uh, for three years running now, in terms of general elections, uh, the last uh, general election was in 2020. The voter turnout rate was 79.9% of all eligible voters in Minnesota voted, making us uh, number one three years running. The highest turnout rate uh, typically uh, is among voters who are within the ages of 70 years to 74 years of age. And the lowest voter turnout rate is typically for voters under the age of 30 years. So uh, let's start kind of getting into this because there are other elements of the voting that, that we need to take into account. But if we can begin to, to understand, uh, Victor, what your efforts are with regard to younger voters, let's start there because that's where we're seeing uh, that the data is telling us that we have the lowest turnout rate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's really good that you point that out. And I it's it's frustrating to see that, you know, folks who are young or like the younger age groups, they're typically are like the most active in like, you know, when it comes to like the workforce or like the most active in their communities. Um, it's it's disappointing, but also frustrating to see that it that that turnout is not as high as it can be. Um, my efforts to to close that gap is to like target the high school kids and college kids, like right as they're um, 
right as they're figuring themselves uh, what into adulthood, uh, you know, having fun, making friends and understanding the world in a different lens. Like, you know, it's never always at home now. You're you're branching yourself out into a different world that you've maybe never have, have ever experienced. And so by targeting like the youth, whether uh, they coming straight out of high school, going to college, they're seeing a lot of things. They're they're becoming more passionate about different goals and different ideas. Um, how can we connect those things into uh, you know, the public policy side of things. Like how do these public policy um, agendas or acts affect what you are passionate about? Let's say I want to become a teacher, right? Say that's my passion. I want to teach kids. However, like as a pa- my passion teaching kids, I don't understand. I might not understand the, the, the other systematic changes that could affect me. Like, you know, when it comes to the education bill, how much funding goes into the schools, how much, Pay, how much funding goes into paying teachers, et cetera, you know? And my job is like to, my job and my my goal is to help them understand like, hey, this is how uh, these policies affect what you want to do. If you want to do this, you're, these are the policies that affect um, A, B, and C. I think part of the issue is just like coming out of high school, we really don't know mm-hmm. much you know, like you're kind of taught how the how things worked in like social studies, like sophomore year or something. So you're leaving and you I think a lot of times a lot of college students, they're, you know, um, the movement they get behind is like a large scale movement. Right. Like GLBT rights or um, um, a woman's right to her body. But and they're not as specific as like, where does this funding go to that would go into the budget that would make me a teacher that would get me mm-hmm. paid to be a teacher you know and that's stuff that i think we learn as we get older and so by the time we're 30 we're like we know what's going to affect us so we need to go vote i mean i think that kind of plays a role in it well i i i also think there was um i when i was growing up in that in that same age range i i got really excited about voting from from certain parties <laughs> Than I did others. And it almost seemed like other folks were like, you know, don't worry about it, you know, focus on these things. I remember going uh in in church spaces and having folks almost in the same congregation kind of tell one group of us, younger, more folks of color, that, you know, you need to focus on the things that are of God. You don't get caught up in all of this stuff over here. And yet at the same time, turn around and talk to older folks. Who they're gonna vote a who they feel are gonna vote a particular way, and so I, I I got hit up with a bunch of little games like that, growing up too, and I, and I think, you know, part of my concern um, is that you know certain folks really don't want young folks to vote. Um, it doesn't help me for young folks to vote if I have certain certain beliefs around because mm-hmm. young folks tend 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 to vote certain ways that may be counter to 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 other folks, and so I. I there's I I received and got caught up into some of that gamesmanship when I was in that age group and to the point where I was just like, you know what? I ain't I I don't even want to be having any part of it. And so I got a little I I I it was it was a I like what's the what's the word? Um I don't I yeah, I got a little disillusioned. I was like, I ain't trying to be in about all that. And it was funny. I was oh like, God, I'll go yeah. be an activist. I'll be I'll go, I'll go do something that 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 actually feels like it's about something real. And it mm. is funny that you get that slow walk right back mm-hmm. into <laughs> how important it is to vote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
See, I'm, and I'm thinking about my experience, and I think, I you know, I agree with every what everyone is saying because I think it, it, it depends on the time that you grew up or the time period that you grew up and what was going on. And so for me, coming through junior high school and high school, um, we were going through all the civil rights stuff. And so that became kind of a, you know, I, I've mentioned on other counter stories, kind of a theme driving force in, in me in terms of me pursuing my education, but also um, kind of came the, the thing that I was pursuing that I kind of wanted to do in my life. And attached to that was an understanding that in order, it, the only way we could get things changed is to get other individuals who, who kind of thought and felt the same way that I did. And the only way I could do that was to vote. And so, you know, so I voted. I mean, I remember voting as soon as I could, you know, when you turned 18, there were certain things that you could do, and voting was one of them. And so I've been exercising that right to vote ever since I was 18. Um, and so, you know, but, uh, but also having been, having taught in the classroom, uh, one of the classes I taught at, at social work at Metro was a, um, uh, introduction to social work class. And there were, there was an assignment that asked students to kind of talk about the difference between an economic and the political system. And these are older Older students, not traditional students that go to high school straight to college. These were working adults who were returning back to the classroom. And it was telling um, in reviewing some of these papers the amount of folks who even at that point in their lives could not explain or talk about the differences between those two. So I agree exactly with what the young man was saying in terms of young people may not understand the differences or the connections um, between the economic and political systems and so and and the impact it will have on their lives. So I think there's a, a continuum both ways. Some folks seem to be aware, and then there are many others who are kind of transitioning through life and then hit a point and then and then it becomes more important. But I also agree with you, Anthony, that um, some young folks are disenfranchised, you know, from voting because young folks think differently than the older generation, as well as they should. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, you're right. They definitely should. That's 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 healthy for a healthy democracy. Exactly. You know, one, brother Victor. One of the things that that I'm I'm curious about because you know when 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 I got hit up. You know, as a young person getting ready to vote, and, and, and even now, I, I feel it too. It's like I get hit with talking points before I even get hit with with issues, right? That mm -hmm. that might be pertinent to me, and so I have a hard time trusting the information that I get from different folks because it always seems like there's an agenda attached. You know what? How has that played out for you as you try to get folks engaged and 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 participating? There's. <laughs> With the talking points thing, like what I do or like, you know, what most organizers would do too, like to, in order to get to the issues part, the talking points are there and might, and I'd say like would be there to like kind of start the conversation instead of, or that's how I would use it. I should say like, I mean, my friends would use it like, 
or me and my colleagues, we would just use a talking post like, hey, let's how do we start the conversation of how do I connect with this person, right? Like a slow connection, small ask. And then bring up the issues about why things matter to you. Like build it. So I don't like the idea of like, you know, forcing like, hey, yeah, but you should vote for this person because A, B and C is like, well, but what you're not addressing is that what is the main issue at hand? Like, why aren't you connecting with me? Why are you telling me how to vote a certain way? What we do and like, and like a lot of my colleagues do is we want to connect with you first in order to talk about those issues. So let's say on the idea of what's a, what's a very, what's a good issue right now. That's not really too conversation. Crime. Crime. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about public safety, for example. Right. Um, person A may feel very hesitant about saying, you know, um, you know, crime in our cities are bad because there's not a lot of uh, peace officers out there. Right. Person B might say uh, crime rates going high because the community is not getting involved. It's our job to to talk to the communities. The community can take care of itself. So now you bring up two things. One person is saying there should be more peace officers. One person is saying that we should talk to community more. But no one is asking addressing the issue is. Why do these issues happen in the first place? Like, what's the root cause? The root cause, yep. And that's what and that's what disconnects a lot of young people. I feel because a lot of young folks they want they they want to be um, acknowledged. Like, I'm pretty sure everyone here, like when when our parents would tell us something like, "Hey, yay!" They you know they give you a clap, or you know when you get an A plus in your paper, you want to go to mom and dad and say, "Hey, look, I got an A plus," and then you know you get an acknowledgement, right? Young folks want acknowledgement of their accomplishments and of what their own ideas are. So in order to like to get that, talk about the issues and stop talking about the talking points, it's like you have to build a connection, build a relationship with someone in order to talk about these issues, and. Like to your point, Anthony, like when, you know, when you mentioned earlier about, you know, when you're at um, when you were at church, when you were young, I believe with your church group and you said, you know, you know, these three people, the, the elders would be telling you like, oh, no, don't do this. Don't do that. And you're like, what? Why would I why would I want to do this? You're not even connecting with me. You're telling me to do something I don't I don't know anything about. You're not even talking to me, educating me about said issue, you know. You know, to your point, Victor, I when I was a, a- a young person, I won't say as a kid, uh, growing up in Chicago in the barrio, um, the aldermen, which is the equivalent of city council over here, they would uh, come to uh, my dad's storefront and give us a, sh- a, a list of uh, leaders that we needed to vote for. They didn't give us a background or anything. And my mother was uh, my dad's um, assistant slash secretary. So she would type it type it out for all of us. You know, this is before, you know, people had access to copiers and stuff at their house and and phones. And she would just uh, type them out for uh, myself and my uh, siblings. So, you know, we'd have my two older brothers and myself and then my parents. So that's five voters right there. Right. And and then my other siblings as they reach the age of voting. And I remember with clarity questioning my mom, like, what do you know about these uh, candidates? And she says, well, you know, Alderman says you got to go vote for them. I said, I'm just not going to give my vote to someone without knowing. And we mm-hmm. would get in this debate. Ooh, um, and, right. Little you know, lawyer lose. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I, was, I was being told you do as you do, as you're told, right, is just go ahead and vote. But I missed that connection, uh, Victor, that you're talking about. And I would venture to guess that that still holds true. And 
particularly with Gen Zers. I was reading an article actually earlier this week that speaks to the headline was Gen Z um, as a as a uh, segment in our society believes that we are ruining you know the the planet um, and having just expectations uh, for a better world altogether. And and to me, that's the through line as well for voting, right? To your point earlier is how how does voting then impact what you care about? The environment, mm-hmm. um, sustainability, you know, crime, uh, everything, right? Equity, justice, everything that you can think of. Um, I want to ask you a question. Let's pivot a little bit with regard to redistricting because Redistricting, we know, happens every 10 years after the census, and um, it generally is a a contested process in terms of what the districts look like after that. Um, But we, the point I want to make here, though, is that it's so important for voters to remember that redistricting did, in fact, take place, and in fact, the current district that you're in may be different than what you have been in historically, and the voting place may be different than where you have gone historically. I'm going to give a, a quick example, then I want to hear about your efforts, and, and I'm sure the rest of the crew has has other um, stories to chime in with. Um, there is an organization that I'm f- affiliated with that For every election, particularly the general election, so we're talking presidential elections, um, convene a group of lawyers, and we have like a situation room. You know, you got about 50 attorneys in there. We all volunteer for election day to help answer the phone for any election-type emergency matters on any given day. So uh, about 10 years ago, um, it would have been, I I was volunteering for on election day on this hotline. And I receive a call from a gentleman um, on the reservation, uh, on, on the White Earth Reservation. And he calls and he says, uh, I just went to go vote. And I was told by the county worker that that is no longer my voting place. And this voter then asked the county worker, then where is my new voting place? And, you know, to your points earlier, the county worker didn't want to answer it and said, I don't know, which was the the uh, chances of that worker not knowing the answer is, is highly unlikely in my mind because uh, you would have known already uh, that the voting places have changed and you would have already looked it up and be able to refer people, right? This gentleman, of course, was indigenous living on white earth. And so he was turned away. Uh, along with the other voters in his family. And he found this uh, hotline that we were staffing, and I answered the call, and he tells me this. He says, look, I, I don't know where to vote, and this is what just happened to me. And I said, well, let me help you out. So I started looking, and we thought the information was readily available on the Secretary of State's office. For some reason, that website was was uh, not functioning at the, at the right time that I was trying to access it. So then I remembered, you know, I've got some friends in Little Earth in Minneapolis, so let me let me see if we can figure this out. So I picked up my cell phone, and I had my cell phone with the Little Earth folks and then the office line of this place uh, with the White Earth gentleman, the voter. 
And all said and done, we were able to figure it out. And uh, the folks actually at White Earth said, look, there is an effort uh, on the reservations where folks will go and pick up voters and take them to their voting places, ask this voter if he would like that. And I did so and the voter agreed. And uh, at the end of the call, the voter was extremely happy. And, um, you know, you could hear folks clapping in the in the background when he says, hey, hey, we're going to vote. And I asked him how many people were in his home. And he's like, well, we've got about a dozen folks here between my family and the neighbors across the street because everybody was being turned away. I offer that up simply as an illustration of what can happen, right? We don't want any voters uh, listening to our program or anywhere, you know, in the, in the state or in the country for that matter to find themselves in that situation where you detrimentally rely on what you thought was an accurate place to go vote and then learn the day of and then feel disempowered. Um, so, Victor, do, do you want to share uh, what your efforts are along those lines? And we'd love to hear from the rest of the crew any experiences that, that are similar that they have uh, have also witnessed. Well, I think that, sorry to interrupt, Victor, um, I think that a lot of that is is. First, like, just like, who knew what redistricting was? I wasn't taught that in public schools, what redistricting yeah. was. So I didn't know that that, you know, was a thing that our poll stations could change and stuff like that until I was much older. Um, but also, that's just one of the many barriers that we hear about and we see people trying to get to the vote, trying to get to vote and being turned away for various reasons or new laws or rules that are trying to be in state instated to make it more difficult for some folks to vote. And I think mm -hmm. that's a really, really good example of that. And I've had for the last 10 years, uh, I've been driving elders to vote um, on election day. And I, I find that I often get to the voting station to help translate. And there are other Hmong folks there who say, hey, can you come help me as well? Or I see other people being turned away and not given the right information. And I'm able to call people out on that. But it took a lot for me to get to that point. So, you know, I think it's, as we talk about the young people not engaging or not, not voting, I think, you know, that's just another factor in both that reason and, and the barriers that people face just trying to get to vote. So what are some of the barriers that you guys see, Victor? Yeah. And how, how do you guys address that? So I actually started work at Cappy in 2020, January of January of 2020. So right before the pandemic hit, that's when, you know, everyone's taking the census, right? Boom, COVID hits. We don't know what to do. We're trying to figure out what, how to fill out, how to get folks fill, to fill out the census. Census work is done. We fill it out. Now, next thing is up is redistricting. How do we tell people about redistricting in a time of like folks still are uneasy about going out Virtual is not like the best thing for, you know, um, an, the older generation. It's not as easy. Maybe for the younger one, younger generation is great, but then you're not getting everyone that you're that we want to. Um, you're not different, give different pools of people, I should say. You're not getting uh, a, a large diff, um, experience or, or I should say um I, I hate I hate to put people as numbers, but like you're not getting a, a, a large sample size to determine like what matters to them. So in the process of redistricting, we we did our best to make sure that um, you know that the courts and that the state legislator knew about what different areas were most 
communities of color and most communities of culture, like, you know, folks who uh, share same similar cultures were able to stick together, right, to form like their own um, district, per se. And how can we keep um, those communities together without them getting split apart? So that was like kind of our main focus. And then now election happens, right, literally three months after that. And we're all just figuring out, okay, how do I tell someone who used to live, who lives right here, has lived at the same place for the last six years, how do I tell them that their uh, polling place is now not across the street from them anymore? It's 10 blocks on the other side of the, on, on the other, other side of town. My best way to give folks is like, I always, always call folks and like, that's why phone banking and, you know, getting like having volunteers come out do phone banking to get to call people to register to vote or not register to vote, like to go out and vote and just reminding them like, hey, do you know that this that this year redistricting happened? Do you know your poll location is still the same? Uh, if not, we are there to able to help you with like, you know, um, and this little shout out to Secretary of State's office, mnvotes.org. Please use that to uh, find out where your polling location is. Uh, now that well, that adds over. Uh, <laughs> but no, like the barriers, it sucks because people are never informed about about what the result of, of redistricting is. Like they, they, they leave it to, well, I can say for a few um I can say for myself, for a personal on a personal level, like I wasn't even for. I, I mean, I was informed personally because I do a lot of work, but my family didn't know if they still are live in the same district. Like people, like the district's numbers change on you in the, in a minute. Like no one knows, right? Uh, but they don't find that until like you look on the ballot and you're looking. I have all these people are asking you, like, "Hey, didn't person A used to be the city council, not city council, state representative of this district? What the heck?" So to challenge that, like. To fight against those barriers, I I I strive my best to make sure like all folks who are registered to vote and in our database to make sure like we inform them. Are you are you aware that redistrict happened? Please double check your polling location. It may not be down the street from you anymore. It may be ten blocks down, the other side of town, and like just totally like going to your point earlier. You were saying it just sucks. Um, the, those barriers. The way I would like I'd love to have those barriers addressed is if, if there's more effort put in by, you know, all different bodies of government just to say that, hey, worldwide, like just do like a whole campaign and just telling people and saying like your district is not the same anymore. Do like a whole three to six months long process before the election, especially midterms when all this stuff. That's like when redistricting take, take, takes place, like it kicks in. Right. And like the second or third year. This is like the most important election. General elections for the presidential stuff, everyone knows about, but no one knows about the the two year state legislator stuff. So, so to that and to that point, you know, one of the things that that sucks for for our various communities here is that we are overrepresented in the communities who are very sensitive to any shifting mm-hmm. um, whatsoever. You know, when you think about all the stressors from the day to day work and all those types of things. Um, we, we, you know, in many other countries, they pay very specific attention to those who are most vulnerable at being disenfranchised for any subtle shift or movement. If I had, if I went through two or three barriers, I may, I'm, I'm more likely to stop and go back to focusing on life stressors than, 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 than completing the voting uh, process. Um, we're, we're overexposed in that regard, and that's, and that's problematic. One of the things that sh- that um, to your point about starting really early and doing that effort, 
that would also imply that there is an extreme universal value in everybody's voices being heard. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I just don't get that sense from our current positioning as a country. You know, I, I I spent time studying abroad in South Africa for and for and for months. I was asking about, um, you know, how how do they get to a voting rate that's above eighty percent in the country? Right. Well, I mean, one piece of that is the tragic, horrific history of South Africa, but then the other piece of that was was like this pushback of like, why else? Why not? And I got to learn the efforts that folks went through, not just to because they remember the history. We've got newer generations who aren't necessarily as connected, but they still maintain this huge effort and emphasis on making sure everybody gets to have their voice say. And, and the response surprised me. Um, one of the one of the, the the students I was talking to about who was working on some of the voter the voter the kind of voter turnout thing, making sure everybody's got rides, you know, um, the the go go bus is go go is, is is grandma, and so making sure grandma gets to the poll right or gets to the place to vote, and and one of the core backings of it was that if we don't get everybody's voice in, it'll be too easy, and this is this is two thousand four two thousand five. Their response then was that it would be too easy for small handfuls of self-interested folks to play with the election results too much, right? Or play on the margins of things and nothing will get done. If you get so many folks voting, then folks can actually act on something as a mandate by the people. And that just blew my mind because I'm reflecting on what they said. And and I'm looking at our current political situation and, and no, unfortunately, almost no election from from the, the federal all the way down to the local level truly has a mandate because we're so much in a 50% plus one situation. And so if I can just play with a little bit of sensitivity that some folks have to not to, to stress you out just enough to not go vote, I that's actually something that's that is possible in our current system. I think one thing we we should talk about that you guys have all kind of brought up is the midterms. Like, what are the midterms? Why are they so important? Um, you know, when there's the large presidential election, the general election, people are all over it because you're seeing it all over the news, all over TV and everything. So the turnout is always higher. But the, these midterms are so crucial in that it really does address some the people who represent you on a very local level. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, so like for folks who don't know, the midterms are like, it's this, it's two years after and before every presidential election, right? That's what we call the midterms. It's right in the middle between every presidential election. Um, it's very important. Well, I'll start on the federal level and then we'll, we'll narrow it down to the local, like what federal, you know, we have our U.S. state representatives. We have our um, state senator, our U.S. senators and U.S. House representatives, who both control either the the House of Representatives and the and the Senate chambers. So all of the legislator that make all the laws for the president to sign or veto. So very important because redistricting can make you go to like I said earlier, like you could be in C four. Next thing now you're in C three or. CD4, now you're in CD3 without knowing the blink of an eye. Um, now we go down to like a state and local level. You never know what ward you're in. The person that you voted for last year might be in a completely different war, uh, ward now, representing a different ward. So then your vote won't even count to that person or won't even be on your ballot, I should say. So, and it's like these, man, like 
Anthony, like back back to your point that you mentioned earlier too about um oh, I just lost my train of thought. It's it's <laughs> I know you I, I know I, there was a point there you were making and um I think it it had to do something around the fa- around the face of like informing folks, right? Or um right. being ahead of the curve. We, we don't seem to be uh, we don't seem to be a society right now that wants to do everything and, and put a lot of energy into getting folks to to know what they need to know to vote. Yeah, and that point, and going back to that point is that I believe it's the people in power in charge of it who don't want to lose that seat, so they do what they can. And I know it's a hundred percent illegal to gerrymander like your your whole thing. You know, make sure like this district favors you or your party. That's completely legal, but it still happens in a way that is there's a lot of loopholes to get around with it, right? And that and that just frustrates me so much that it's because of those things, I fear I fear that we won't be able and, and uh, I fear that that triggers or it leads into something into where our our society doesn't want to be ahead of the curve and telling folks where they're voting. You know, like especially when their district changes after redistricting, because now you're informing people of where they are now versus where they used to be. And now that disenfranchises like a whole group of people that could be voting for um, person A's opponent that now voting for that, you know, is going to be voting for someone who's definitely not going to win that their um, their district. Right. There's also, I would say, an assumption that people, A, know that midterm you have to see, you have to verify where your polling place is, right? And B, there's an assumption that you're aware that it could be different, right? And and that comes with a sense of privilege, because if you think about historically marginalized communities, which we fall into, uh, and which is largely the, the subject matter of our conversations, we we don't necessarily have that built in, uh, because so often uh, many of our uh, members are first-time voters in terms of their ability or their families, um, and that infrastructure isn't there historically for folks to rely on. Uh, So we're more vulnerable, if you will, as a result of that. You know, the other part of this that I think we we can springboard into at this point is to have folks understand the various ways that you can vote in Minnesota, right? You can vote in person and there's early voting and early voting uh, has been open uh, for a number of weeks now and folks can, can choose to go in to their local voting place. Uh, for instance, uh, for me, it would be a library, uh, a local library, to go ahead and cast your ballot. And I say that because it's really important for uh, folks who normally would not have that flexibility, whether that flexibility is a result of their work schedule, whether that flexibility has to do with their uh, parenting schedule, with their, ch- their children or, or a child, or maybe they're a caretaker for uh, a family member and they need to also take the family member with them uh, to go vote. There are all kinds of iterations and variations of that, uh, but it, it is really important for our listeners to understand that you can go and vote uh, now. Today's October 19th. We're airy, you know, we're recording this on October 19th, three weeks or so before uh, election date. 
And you can do this. Uh, you can hop on the Secretary of State's office or as Victor has uh, mentioned, mnbotes.org. That's minnesotavotes.org. And on there, uh, you'll be able to uh, input where you live and you'll see where you can go vote in person. You can see where the voting hours are. You can see where the ballot or the polling place is. Heck, you can even check to see what's your sample ballot, what's on your ballot, right? If you are unfamiliar with the candidates in your district, um, either because they're new, as Victor has alluded to earlier, or because this is something that you haven't uh, necessarily realized, or maybe you're your first time voter. Maybe you fall in the uh, under 30 years of age category. Uh, but if you go on that website, mnvotes.org, or the Secretary of State's Office for Minnesota, it's super easy, very user-friendly, and you're able to go ahead and uh, figure that out then as well. Thanks for all the information, Luz. Um, you know, one thing I was thinking of as, as we were talking about how to get folks excited about the election. Not, and this is not. You sound so excited yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like we could get more people excited if we weren't sending like 70 year olds in as our representatives. I think that. There, get out my head get out of my uh, you head you know there's just like there's a there's a there's a new crop of folks and it gets young people excited to hear these new and different ideas or like their values and kind of the values of those around them and in their stage in life and and so i think that's you know that makes it less exciting for folks when you know you a already don't really understand what people do or what those roles are but to add on top of that, people who are seem to be so disconnected to community um, makes it seem like eh, it doesn't matter what I do. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the thing I hear the most is like, you know, it doesn't matter if one vote like, you know, he, he's not going to lose by one vote or, or stuff like that. And it's like, you know, if everybody thought that way, then which is apparently what's happening with people like not choosing not to vote when they can. I get that a lot from like you know, my younger cousins who are in college or right out of college. I'm like, did you vote? And they're like, eh, whatever. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm that auntie. Like I'm texting everybody election day. Like, did you vote? Did you vote? You know, did you vote? And, and you know, I sometimes I feel frustrated because like my sisters and aunties are, are not instilling that importance in their life. Like Lou's saying your mom like wrote down all the names and, for everybody in the family, even though she didn't do all the research, but she's like, well, at least she did something to make you know that voting was important. I think I the voting was really important for my grandparents, which was what really, um, you know, I, maybe that's what made me in really into making people vote, getting people to vote, not making, but um, getting people to vote. He felt he he always told me it, it was a privilege, right? He's like, this is what we came to America for. Like, we came to America and this is the benefit. So we have to take advantage of it. And he would always tell me that. And so I would always take him to go vote because I knew it was important to him. And I think that that really instilled in me, too, that it, it is an important thing that we did. You know, my parents fought, my grandparents fought to get here. 
And this is the benefit that they came to get for us. And so we need to utilize that. You know, please, you just you just made me think of, you know, you're you're one generation away from uh, the generation in your in your family and cultural context that that had to fight for that privilege. Right. Um, I but as I think about my own experience, I'm I'm two to three generations away from the folks who had to fight for even the possibility of voting. And what I just heard you say sounds a lot like what my grandmother said about her, why she votes in relation to her, her, her previous generation. And, and, um, it just struck me just, just hearing you say that, that, that messaging space. And I, and I think about what I have to tell my kids, um, because we go, we make it a ritual. Um, my wife went without me, uh, this last go, this this uh, during some of the, I think it was the primary, and just the work schedule happened, and all of a sudden I looked up and I saw their picture online, and I was pissed. Um, and so <laughs> I but, did but, notice that. I did notice that you were yeah, sus- I, suspiciously not in that picture. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I came at her in the comment section. I, I came at her life, but but um, <laughs> but 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 it. What I love about it is, you know, we 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 talk about it, but there's never it was never a question. But my kids are starting to ask the question now because they feel like voting somehow has to be a cultural statement. And this is different than my introduction to voting growing up. It didn't, I didn't grow up in a space that said, you know, voting is about your values as a person and, and who we are as a people. It was, no, 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 no. There's a political thing happening that has to do with policies and procedures and things like that. And you go do that just like you were going to go to job and just like you go to the DMV. Like it was, it was just part of that space. And my kids, I'm finding that we're having, what I'm guessing what I'm saying is I'm fighting that when I'm thinking about how the generations message voting to each one, I'm having to message to my kids to fight for them to think about this as a civic duty as opposed to a cultural statement. And and when they're having when it's the cultural statement piece, I watch their energy tank, right? And they're like, "Can we just go vote because that's what we're supposed to do? Like, we go get the tabs when, like, <laughs> and the sticker, and so, the red sticker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give me my yeah. red sticker. I can show that I did what I'm supposed to do, just like I'm supposed mm-hmm. to take out the trash and do all these other things. And so I just, I, Victor, as I think about your job, you're having to go in there and get folks out. And I'm wondering if if you're getting feedback from folks around these culture wars that have somehow married themselves onto our voting system. Yeah, like it's I see I, I see different things uh, to both of your stories. I see a lot of that. Like it's that's kind of like a um, a privilege that, that I want to say that we that I have too because my that, that same thing happened to me. Right. It was all instilled into us to be like, you know, go vote. We don't care who you vote for. Just vote because it's a fun thing. It's a fun activity that we all do. And, you know, we always made it a game like my dad and I used to make it a game. I was like, hey, who are you going to vote for? I'm not going to tell you why. I'll just tell you later. And then he and next thing he tells me, he's like, oh, I voted for the person who won. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> and we would we would like make bets and say like, hey, um, do you think this person is going to win? Nah. OK, I'm going to think this person is going to win. Like, how much are you going to bet? 20 bucks. OK, cool. Here's 20 bucks. Right. It, it was just like a fun thing. Like it's it, it like that's just kind of incentivized me to, like uh, I should go. That was before. I mean, still tradition now, but like not not nothing that you should do in your family. But it was fun. <laughs> but uh, no, but yeah, I see a lot of that and and many different families. Like it's instilled from 
either your parents or, or, or your grandparents. But to uh, Lee's point, which you mentioned earlier, like you see folks who just don't care, like my, my vote doesn't matter. Um, there's a lot, there's tons of people like that. And that's just like majority, like that's, that's a parody, like the disparity of like how many people could be voting, but they choose not to. Um, it's, it's unfortunate because those are the folks that I like to call. Um, and I got this from a friend of mine in Chicago. He told me that they're, they're not, you know, they're low propensity voters. He told me that they're, um, high potential voters because those are the folks that the voices never get heard. Those are the folks that always say my voice doesn't matter. My vote doesn't count because they know they don't see the they don't see the um, the consequences. They don't see the the uh, the rewards of it. You know, um, they you know, it could be like five, 10 years before they see it. But they, there's no like immediate um, reward, I should say, or immediate impact. Right. To um, the person they're voting for. Um, so. For my mom, it was trying to explain to her the um, electoral college and her getting mad. And like, she was like, but, you know, this person won. So why is that guy now president? And we explained to her, she's like, because, you know, the night of all the numbers and she's watching it. And she's like, so even though this person got the most votes, they don't win. And it's like, sometimes that's not how. It happens, you know, and she was just like, what's the point? Like, you know, the big, like, what? We all that's like this. A whole, Does it matter? That's another segment and discussion of its own, right? That we yeah, can that's like go its own this. thing. That's yeah. a whole other discussion debate. And I could go into like, I love I love talking about politics and like government and electoral stuff. Like I could go I can have like three hour conversation, like long conversations into tonight about this. And uh, yeah, it's just those things like people just don't see the immediate impact or they're very confused about what the results are, you know? Um, but what I always tell people, like when folks say like my vote doesn't count, my one vote doesn't count. There was a race very recently in the last two years that I was keeping track of that person was elected by a margin of like 30 votes. <laughs> and, there have been quite a number of yeah. those. Yep. Locally. Yeah. yeah. There were so many things said and, and it was kind of hard to kind of get in there. So I'm just going to share some experiences that I've had through life surrounding voting that ties in to the different topics that have been covered in the past half hour. Um, going back to what Victor said earlier in terms of, you know, I was going to give an example of when there are discussions on two different issues, but it, but it, Though, but they both miss the point. So let's let's take a current debate with two individuals running for the top office in the state of Minnesota had a debate um, around around what happened after the death of George Floyd. And we discussed those events that happened after the death of George Floyd extensively here in counter stories the protests the reason for those protests right the social injustice the um the redundant killing of black men by white police officers the need to look at um changing systems to address racial inequalities but in a debate 
that event got boiled down to um, looting, looting, and um, and uh, victim, looting and and uh, burning, and the other individual addressed it from how happy they were to the response from police officers, firemen, and others during that period. And the reason that came about in the first place was totally lost, no longer existed. That happens so often during these cycles. And so, and unless you're, you know, and then I've heard, I heard you guys talking about how, you know, for new folks to this country, like many immigrants are, it can be very hard to pull out um, what's really happening when they when they isolate and dis dis um, what I'm trying to think of a term because all the candidates do it they they kind of word it in a way that has nothing to do with they what never that, answer the question well that and they have and, their talking points. Exactly. But they usually stick very well to. We actually have a, a drinking game. Um, whenever we see an interview with a politician, and they, <laughs> oh my god, and they no stop way. and they say something like, "Look, look, look" is the biggest one. Look, and then they talk about the issue, but they don't talk about any solution. Look, so right. going, look, you know, gotta do shot. You guys gotta do it now. Every <laughs> time they say look, <laughs> the other. The other story I was going to share quickly is that way back, way back oh, years ago, there um, there was a an election in St. Paul for mayor. There were two individuals, and I knew them both. And it was during a time, Hilly, probably when your parents first got over here, when the Hmong population was first transporting to Minnesota. And there were things happening in the community I thought needed some attention paid to it, right? And I asked this individual who was running for the mayor um, why I didn't hear any campaign rhetoric or what he was going or not going to do for this community. <laughs> His response was, well, nothing right now because they can't vote. It was that simple, that mm -hmm. clear. Nothing right now because they can't vote. So if that doesn't energize our, our listeners, I don't know what will. You're right, right. on point with that one, Don. Right on point. Wow. Damn, man. <laughs> I mean, it, Dang, blew, it big it, it, middle it, finger up to everybody. But, but it was. <laughs> but you know, when you when you boil it down to the very essence. Of what he was saying, he was true. It was correct, mm -hmm. but it just blew me away how blunt that individual was about it. Yeah. That he didn't have to pay attention to it because they couldn't vote. That's how important your vote is. I'm only three generations from being a becoming a, a United States citizen. So, you know, prior to 1924. As American Indians, we weren't even U.S. citizens, even though this is our country and our land. <laughs> so, in, after 1924, so that's only that you know that's my grandfather, right? 
as my grandfather was finally allowed to vote, my mother, and now me. And so now we're down to my uh, son's generation. So four generations, we've only been allowed to vote in this country. Mm. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, it's wow. time for us to wrap up here. Um, Victor, this has been so helpful to have you on. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, cede the floor to you, if you will, for any closing comments uh, that you want to extend to our audience in terms of getting out the vote and going out there and exercising their right to vote. Ah, do your job. It's your civic duty to make sure that. No, I'm not going to give you like the, the 30 second spiel of talking points. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, but um, what I would like to say is that you know, thank y'all for having me. Uh, join y'all today. And um, my last closing arguments or closing statements I want to say is like, you know, choose choose to vote. Choose whether or not to vote. Go ahead, because but the thing is. The next person that's going to be up there and, and that elected chair may not represent you. And the person you can only blame is yourself that you don't, that the things that you don't want to see out there is that's on you. That's right. Thank you for that, Victor. And in closing, remember to vote, hop on the vote, uh, the, the site MN that's men votes with an S on it.org M N V O T E S.org. Or if you want to go on the Secretary of State's office, it's the same website. It, this men votes just uh, sends you over to Secretary of State's office. It's fast. When you're actually voting, uh, as I said, I, I voted uh, about a week or two ago. It is fast. You're in and out in less than 10 minutes. And you're able then to exercise your vote uh, with a peace of mind, not worrying about can you do this on November 8th and can you get to it because of schedule. Uh, you know, with COVID still among us, um, it allows you to plan ahead and vote so that the day of, of the election, you don't have to worry about how you're feeling in terms of your your uh, physical health. You know, might you be coming down with something um, or, you know, the, the weather might be inclement. And so you don't want that to be a de deterrent or maybe you've got transportation issues on that day, whatever, or your work schedule, whatever it is. Plan ahead and vote ahead of time. Early voting is active and you're able to do that. Um, but if you vote in person the day of, know that you can actually, we have same day voter registration voting uh, that you can bring someone, uh, a neighbor or someone who can um, vouch for you and your address. And so you can go ahead and vote there. And so you don't have to worry about, well, I just moved you know, six months ago and I forgot to register to vote. We have same-day voting, and you can learn more about that again on the Secretary of State's office website. And then lastly, if you have or a loved one has language issues, know that you actually are entitled to have an interpreter who can help you interpret um, and translate for you in terms of the ballot as well. So with that, uh, we do encourage you to exercise your civic uh, right and duty to go in and do this. Uh, we've had generations of activists who have paid uh, dear prices with their life, with their health, uh, so that we can all vote. And we want to make sure that we honor that uh, in exercising our votes and the, and the duty and, and the price that they paid in, in getting us uh, to this process. I'm Luz Maria Frias, Deputy Attorney General with the State of Minnesota. Any comments and opinions that I've shared are strictly my own and should not be attributed to my employer. 
I'm Anthony Galloway, senior partner at Dendros Group and pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota. I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe Indians. And I'm Haley Lee, owner of the Other Media Group, VP of Programming for Ampers, and Counter Stories producer. And I'm thanks to Victor Yang, uh, Community Engagement Assistant Manager over at CAPI USA. Victor, thanks so much for all the work that you and your colleagues do at CAPI USA uh, that goes beyond the civic engagement that we learned about um, today. This has been Counter Stories, uh, and we'll see you next time. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.